Welcome to episode 279 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin, and I'm pumped to be here. I'm Marshall Bach, and I'm super pumped to be here. <laughs> Stoked to the maximus. To the max. Uh, another week, uh, another round. We've got some news coming up. We have uh, a little bit of industry talk to get into. We're going to dig into some interesting upcoming features coming to Twitter.com, Ooh. that application. That you download on your phone. App Lots of interesting location. stuff on today's episode. But before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. Huge thank you to ReadyMag. ReadyMag is a design tool that lives in your browser. It lets you draw the design of any web publication, publish it online, all without writing a single line of code. It gives you complete creative freedom. Uh, they have a library of more than 1,500 fonts, tons of advanced animation tools. You can create unlimited projects, all this and much more. So last week we called out Claudio Guglieri's portfolio that had he moved from his personal website to ReadyMag. This week I want to call another designer who's doing some really interesting work here. So Anton Raponen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. We'll have a link in the show notes. But Anton Raponen has a buck wild website uh, and a lot of this work was created with ready mag specifically things i'm excited about so he redid his blog recently which is really really cool it's just like a grid of posts but he does a lot of interesting work with color and photography and type and reading his blog led me down the path to finding his new photos website and uh, specifically i am looking at his beautiful photos from hong kong and at the bottom of his Hong Kong photos list is one of the most striking photos of a human I've seen. It's uh, an old man peering into the distance. It looks like an Apple advertisement, if Apple advertisements were a little bit sad. Anyways, so Anton's websites are great and they are built on ReadyMag. ReadyMag is a wonderful tool. You can get started for free at readymag.com. And if you upgrade to their pro advanced plan, you get a whole lot more features like custom domains. You can add your own custom fonts, add analytics, you know who's looking at your website, all that and more. Uh, you get 40% off ReadyMag's advanced plan if you sign up and use the promo code design details, or you can just get started building for free at readymag.com. The first 50 people who use that promo code. Yeah, time is of the essence. So first 50 people use that promo code design details, you're going to get 40% off the advanced plan. So check out readymag.com and we will have links to Claudio and Anton's work, both built on ReadyMag. So beautiful stuff. Go to readymag.com. Thank you, ReadyMag, for sponsoring this episode. Thanks, ReadyMag. Let's get into the show. Let's do it. All right. All right. A little bit of follow-up. So last week I did this huge brain dump of online privacy and security features, things that everyday people could do to be safer on the internet. Very useful. Very informative. You told me that you learned a couple of things. So I did. That made me feel good. So uh, a couple of people tweeted it back that it was useful as well. And so my hunch, I think I even mentioned this last week, was to turn that into a blog post. But Michael Kneprath tweeted at us and said, maybe instead of a blog post, what if you just had like a checklist? Like here's things that you should be doing and you check them off as you go and you have build a little bit more of an actionable task, an actionable list of things to be safer online. So we did that. Um, we built... No, let's not say we because I contributed absolutely nothing to this. This is all you. This is a one-man show. So this weekend with uh, help from Michael and... Oh, okay. Okay, that we. Not, that we. not this we. Got it. All and right. A couple people have opened issues already, but we uh, published securitycheckli.st. So the domain name is st, 
and it just spells out security checklist. Securitycheckly.st. You can tell it's a really great domain name by how easy it is to explain how to get there. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but uh, it was a really, really fun little weekend side project. And we'll, well, I imagine by the time people are hearing this, we've talked about it on Twitter. So I will have tweeted this out on Monday, uh, but I'm, I'm finishing up the implementation on Sunday. Well, I want to say... I think you've done an outstanding job with this. It, Thank it you. looks beautiful. It's very usable. I love all the links and everything. Like it's just a really nicely designed. It feels specky yeah. in that it follows the spec guidelines. Yeah. But did you just like piggyback off of the CSS? So here is the order of operations. We rebuilt spec.fm. I liked it. So I forked it, made brianlevin.com, liked it, forked it, made this new website. Well, at this point, I'm like, I don't want to invent anything new. It's like I've got light grays, whites, and dark grays down pat. Yep. So anyways, I uh, should check that out. I would love to know. Oh, it's also open source. That's what I wanted to add. So it's open source. So in theory, people can contribute to this and add more resources and we can add more more sort of categories of things that people can do to improve their privacy or security online. We've already had a couple of people open issues. I had a couple of people email me just from seeing the repo. So that tells me that maybe more people want to like add their resources to this yeah which would be great so if you want to do that uh that's it on my github profile cool news hit me you sent me a buck wild tweet yesterday Marshall. oh man okay so i don't know how to talk about this like i don't know exactly what angle to approach this from but i think we need to talk about it at the very least okay josh hemsley tweeted retweeted this thread from a woman named chloe condon condon and he said, yo, want to see how disturbing some people are? Read this thread. Absolutely nuts for how many lies by this guy get caught for. English. Uh, it just keeps going. He has spent years doing this online. What the fuck? So I'm, I'm intrigued. Let me click on this link. So, so I go into the thread. And this woman, Chloe, is being accused of stalking a fellow designer at a design event recently and turns out she wasn't at that event the picture he showed of her was taken from an event three years before she's never met the guy and diving deeper into his online post history you come to find that he has posted all sorts of stuff that is photoshopped or lies or both claiming credits for things he didn't do articles he wrote that he didn't write talks he gave that he didn't give he's a designer ostensibly i don't want to say his name because i don't want to give any is this a real person we're talking about or is this a persona on the internet that's just like burn it all to the ground i'm gonna fake everything and anything (sighs) no because he has personal posts of like him with his dog in the car going to the beach also photoshopped doesn't own (laughs) a dog (laughs) never been to the beach (laughs) yeah and the funny thing is that his dog's name is chloe right which is her name which is probably a coincidence but And it's still creepy. Anyways, it's so easy nowadays to use all of these platforms that are meant for innocent means. They're, you know, ways for you to share your life with people. But how do we stop people from uh, lying and creating false personas on the internet? Which, granted, I know, like, that's kind of what Instagram is for, is to create this false reality around what your real day-to-day life is. Right. You know, portray this thing to the outside world that isn't accurate but it's at least not accurate it's, a, it's, it's an amped selective, up version of right? yeah, yeah. yeah selective it's it's emphasized it's like you know it's an exaggeration but it's not completely false these right. things are built from entire falsehoods right so when you sent me this tweet so i, I guess i didn't read the full thread but i read the, the initial posts and was like okay this guy faked 
this photo of a girl stalking him. And it just immediately reminded me of two things. So one was the recent story about Scarlett Johansson talking about deep fakes, which are people in many cases, photoshopping celebrity faces onto porn stars. So now it's becoming video because the video tools have caught up. And so anyway, Scarlett Johansson mentioned like, we're fucked. We can't do anything about it. And that reminded me of the, uh, it was almost a tech demo, right? Of Jordan Peele impersonating Obama, where his voice was moving a video of Obama's face as he talked. Tracked perfectly, matched and if you if you can do the voice and make it look like he's saying something he didn't say, now what do we trust? Who do you know? Yeah. Like reality is gone, and there is no truth. Throw a bottom scrolling news banner on that, put the Fox News logo on it, put the CNN logo on it, and have anybody say whatever you want. The alternative is now because this is a thing. Any because there's always been the not to get too much into politics, but po- politicians have always said. Someone stole my phone. That isn't me. It, you know, like this. I didn't actually do this thing. Now that becomes plausible of like, no, I never said that. No, I never said that. That's a deep fake. Somebody made that video. It's not real. Even though that person made it, might yeah. have actually said that thing. And the video stuff feels like early days Photoshop where you can kind of tell something's it's a wonky. It will get better. It's scary. I, I guess I don't know how you would combat this unless there are some computer science people out there figuring out like the forensics of what it means to have an altered video. Obviously there's forensics for Photoshop, but even that's getting super good, right? Like if there are things that give it away, those are things that can be fixed. So yeah, (laughs) we are hurtling towards a a pretty big unknown of what's going to happen to public discourse, especially in politics, but touching the design community like this is pretty interesting as well. Yeah, especially when you can, like, one of this guy's pictures is a picture of him with Seth Rogen, uh, not photoshopped. He's just at a wax museum <laughs> with a wax version of Chill Seth with Rogen. My boy. <laughs> yeah, but he does have a photoshopped version of himself with Mitt Romney, right. and it's like look at the shadows under their chins and this one's going that they're outside in the sun and this one's going that way that one's going the other way easy to tell those things but if you're not looking for it you could just yep. accept it as reality and move on and potentially you know someone's life is in the balance of this thing not necessarily life or death but like we reputation could get to that point yeah or, reputations yeah yeah like if chloe wasn't able to kind of mobilize the people who follow her into like digging into this guy's questionable post history um, there's a likelihood that she could have right. gotten in trouble for, with this with her employer, right. with potential future clients. Like, I'm not sure exactly what she does, but like, this is scary and it's, you know, destructive. It's scary to me on Twitter because Twitter is very much a product where you skim it. And when you are sharing things after the fact, you say, oh, I think I saw this one tweet that said this one thing. And uh, this is playing exactly into the way that people consume this content, which is just super cursory, one tiny nugget that they hope will stick in your head. And then you scroll by it and that nugget's lodged up there, regardless of if it's true or false. Yeah, there's this strange abyss that we seem to be standing on, on the precipice of that beyond which lies the eradication of all that is true and real and anything could be false anything could be true who knows just make your best decision based on your gut because you can't trust anything else which is a really scary place to be anyways (laughs) on that depressing note stay mindful everyone yeah be wary this stuff is out there it's happening it's important to always question everything that you read and try and find sources more than just the the one that is being told to you yeah just being 
knowledgeable of the fact that your brain is hijackable, that you have a, a fallible thing between your ears, uh, is enough to overcome that fallibility a lot of the time. Hopefully. On the lighter news, do you want to do this one? Yeah, sure. So I, I pulled this up. I was thinking about it this week, actually. So we... On September 5th, we recorded episode 263 in which we talked about when a product design manager or product manager at Twitter shared this concept of threaded replies on Twitter. And so the tweet showed two loose mockups with basically chat bubble style replies to tweets with indenting uh, or, or threading to a certain degree. Uh, but it was a very interesting design. So anyways, when we talked about that, it was interesting, A, that it was being shared, but I think we commented that it looked like really early mocks and like maybe not fully fleshed out. So today... Because it was a, it was, I think it was a PM who had shared it It was a PM initially. who had shared it. Yeah. So we, we made assumptions about it, which perhaps were incorrect assumptions because as we sat down to record this today, 50 minutes ago as of this time on Sunday, this is something that they're about to test for real. So there's a deeper look, some screenshots on a TechCrunch article called The First Look at Twitter's New Beta App. And what we are seeing is that threaded sort of chat bubble style reply design uh, on Twitter. So what we're going to do is try and understand what's going on here, maybe guess what we think is happening or like why this product changes is rolling out. And then maybe we can leave a small critique and keep it positive and be mindful of our friends at Twitter who are working very hard to make Twitter uh, a better place. Yes. Yes. Rigby. Rigby, Rigby, Rigby. Rigby Twitter. Uh, Tigby. <laughs> <laughs> Twigby? Twigby. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Do you want to start, Marshall, with maybe first impressions or should we do a rundown of, of what we're seeing? So we're going to try and communicate some of the visuals here over audio, but uh, if you're keen, just open this TechCrunch article. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah, in the show notes, one tap away, you can see this picture. It's right at the top of the article. So there are a few things of note here that I find interesting. The first being that um, there is precedent for this type of thing. Basically, any blogging platform has something like this, threaded replies. But the one that uh, comes to mind most prominently and I think has the most road testing, probably, would be Reddit. Reddit does a lot of the same things that uh, Twitter's trying to do here, which is highlight one's own comments, highlight the OP's comments, or the original poster's comments, and thread down uh, sub-replies as uh, under their parent comment. Right, and they're also going to add algorithmic sorting so that the top replies at the top of the list are, in theory, more relevant to you in the same way that Reddit sorts by you know most upvoted comment by default. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think as far as that goes, like they're they're following the patterns that exist already. I don't think this will confuse anybody too much. It's probably a good thing, especially when you have a huge, huge Twitter reply thread. Yeah. So back up a little bit. Like, what's the problem that you think they're trying to solve here? I mean, well, to interpret based on the visual design of it, it seems as though they're trying to do something similar to what it seemed that Facebook was trying to do recently on, on their post replies, which is turn it into more of a conversational feel, as opposed to it being individual posts that are very, you know, there's lots of pomp and circumstance and they all have their own thing. Like this is more, no, I'm just saying, yeah, me too, right? Or, or chocolate chip, you know, a mint chocolate chip. Yeah, this is the actual thing. Like, why did that pop into my head? Yeah, this is an actual example from right. this screenshot. So um, something that doesn't warrant its own full post is really just a conversation back and forth in reply to something that was actually a real post. Um, so maybe we should treat it more like that, something more like a, a, a chatty conversation with talkie bubbles and, and I look blue and you look white and you know what I mean? Right. 
I have a slightly different hunch. Go for it. Well, I think that that's like the desired end behavior is like have people feel more comfortable to share smaller replies that won't clog a, a Twitter th- like feed up. Yeah, and also have it be more manageable. You don't need all the actions on every single right. thing. Like you don't, or at yeah, least yeah. have visible hearts and replies. And yeah. All that so stuff. in this mock-up, there's no reply icon, no retweet right. count, none of that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant by pomp and circumstance. I see. I see. So my hunch, and this is something that I've complained about several times in the past, is that Twitter is a platform where it's impossible to have a conversation with more than one person at the same time. So if you are tweeting back and forth with a single person it's very easy to follow because you just reply to each other. As soon as another person jumps in, what happens is it forks. It forks. And each of those forks has different replies. They can come in different orders. People can quote tweet individual sections of that thread and start sub forks of the forks. It gets messy. It gets messy. And as a viewer, you often miss chunks of context or you enter at the wrong point in the thread. and You, you choose your own adventure into a, a th- right. fork that isn't right. necessarily most applicable to what you're looking for. So... I guess if I was trying to put myself based purely on visuals, uh, we're speculating here, everybody. My hunch is they said it's really hard for people to just chat on Twitter, to like have a multi-person discussion because the tweet model just breaks. So what if a tweet is considered like the root, the seed, the seed, and any reply just appears as a chat bubble underneath that. It's not its own Maybe it's its own tweet on like a timeline, but in this context, it is a chat bubble. The way it appears here. And we will do our best to extract signal from what will probably be more noise. If they want people to post shorter tweets, there will be more noise. But we will do our best to extract signal for people who are not a part of that conversation. Uh, They've already kind of taken steps towards this. So if you look at someone's Twitter profile, they strip out all of the replies. So I think that that's a signal to me that they already recognize replies as second tier messages they don't originate from you even though you sent them like that the seed isn't yours so they have a separate tab called tweets and replies in addition to just the normal default one which is tweets so yeah that that implies to me that they already are are thinking of replies as a a subtweet even though it right. means a different thing to subtweet but threading them like this especially with an algorithmic sorting method is super useful because just like with reddit the best replies co- go up to the top i'm assuming this is how the algorithm is going to work is based on replies to that reply and likes on it and retweets and well stuff. they said they're actually going to highlight even above all that will be people who you follow their replies will be at the top. Oh, so it's not even, it's individual per person. So Kanye West tweets, and you click on that tweet, you want to see what your friends think of the tweet before randos. Yep, that makes sense. That's even better, actually. Especially on a social platform like this, which Reddit isn't necessarily. Right. Is there a follow You can follow users on Reddit. They're testing profile posts. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just find this whole thing fascinating. Do we want to talk about the visuals of it at all? We could talk about it a little bit. We know from this TechCrunch article that they're going to change the visuals. So the screenshot we're looking at now has really, really bright green and blue posts. They mentioned that this is for the beta first uh, and that it will be toned down as this starts rolling out and as they start learning more. My hunch is like they won't do a fully green or blue bubble. They'll do some sort of indicator. My first guess was like a left border or a top border that's green or blue or even just like a dot next to the person's name. Color doesn't have to be a big thing because people scan color really, really well. I don't want to focus too much on the colors there just because they specifically said that's going to change yeah what about the visuals there's other interesting things like the byline sort of overlapping the bubble so that the user's avatar 
is sort of half on, half off the mm-hmm. bubble. Fence sitting. Sure, yeah. I don't like that so much from a, I don't know, it just feels off balance to me. I see what they're trying to do. It's like an inset thing, like, but you could totally put it to the left there. What's really interesting to me is the rounded corners and flat tops on the replies to the replies. So the first one kind of lines up with the way the the bubble above it, the corner radius, like as soon as the corner radius flattens out, that's when the next one starts dropping down. But because... The next one after that has the same top left corner radius of zero. It creates this weird rounded. I assume these are all visual things that will get get fixed eventually. But it's it's good to point these things out just as like a you know why would they want to change it? What's wrong with it? Like or you know what isn't perfect? Like well these color things obviously, but but also some of these alignment issues or like the, the idea of a consistent gutter down the left side. Like you could totally move that avatar off, which obviously they're trying to save space and I get it, I get it. But I would want to see the avatar off to the left. I love that they're making it smaller. So it de-emphasizes the avatar, lets you know that this person is replying to a reply. Yeah, the hierarchy makes sense, I think, for the size. Yeah, yeah. I would just want to see it maybe right aligned with the same avatar or I don't know, something to the left there. I'd either put it inside the bubble or outside the bubble, probably outside the bubble because that seems to be the pattern elsewhere. But there's another interesting thing here is that they have the same same bottom left button on reddit that reddit has yeah. which is jump to the next top level reply which is probably the most compelling button i've seen in recent products that reddit jump to next root comment is yep. fucking brilliant yeah I, I love it oh another thing to to bring up here is like oh why wouldn't they use these super bright colors it's colorful and, and i don't know <laughs> joyful I don't know. it's like a a very lively look to the screen and you use this color blocking and it's really nice and bold well i mean it, it reminds you of iMessage or something you have colored bubbles Sure, why not? But if you notice in iMessage, when anyone sends a link, anything that might have uh, a picture or any sort of uh, graphical image in it, they take away the color. So if I send a link to you, it won't be blue on my side. My bubble will be gray. Right. That way there's no harsh contrast between any image in the world and this green or blue color that we've chosen, which you can see in practice here on the the bottom message on, on, on the screenshot, there's a a green bubble with a bright pink image inside of it and it vibrates. So that's why we were thinking they'll probably tone this down. Also, they said they'd tone it down, but like this is this is why you wouldn't want to do that in your own designs is, is because you get that weird vibration. Even if you're making mocks that have perfect images that line up perfectly, like it could be anything and you need to, you need to account for the worst case scenario. Accounting for user-generated content basically pushes you towards generic things, which is like white backgrounds, black text. It's why, you know, Messenger, they attach links as either its own bubble or it sits on top of a bubble with its own sort of distinct visual style, never inside the bubble because right. it's just too many edge cases. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're seeing the, and this has been happening for years, is the decolorification of, of apps, a, a removal of color m- moving more towards grayscale, black, white, or in between to have all interface elements that aren't high demand actions. So if it's just a text label or something, but it is a button and you don't have any sort of surrounding container that says, hey, I'm a button, having that be a color makes sense. But basically anywhere else in the UI, pulling the color out and just letting the the content come out um, with color. Because then anytime you do use color in the UI, 
it's really, really valuable. Like you got to be super careful with it, but that's why red dots, people tap on red mm-hmm. dots. Uh, for Twitter, mm-hmm. it's a blue dot. Mm-hmm. You tap that blue dot because mm-hmm. it's one of the only two blue things in the bottom <laughs> Especially bar. Especially like, if you're an anal retentive person like me who hates badges and yeah. wants to clear all the badges. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, like look at, especially these media heavy apps like Instagram, YouTube, like a lot of apps are removing color in order to help the content shine, which I, th- I think is a smart idea and I'm surprised yeah. we haven't seen it sooner. Well, oh, the, the last thing that I think is interesting is... So so we mentioned they hide the retweet, like count, share buttons, all that stuff that's usually underneath a tweet. So on a reply, they hide all that. But if you tap on the reply, it enters sort of a focus mode, then it will show you those counts. So I think it's an interesting decision. I, I think it seems to align with what you're hypothesizing, Marshall, which is Twitter's probably considering a reply as a less than tweet. So it's not really important how many likes you get on a reply. And especially if they're hoping that those replies will be shorter form, more conversational, then it'll be even less impactful. So who cares about like counts and retweet counts and stuff? But even if you do, you don't need to manually sort those yourself by reading the counts on your own. We can hide that and just use use an algorithm to sort it that way. Yeah. One interesting thing is that TweetBot, which is another third-party Twitter client, they do this already. So if you're in your home feed and scrolling through, there are no actionable items. You have to tap on a tweet first and it enters that focus state and gives you the actions for the for the tweet after you've interacted there's also swipe gestures left and right to do things quickly but it really cleans up the ui as you're scrolling through you don't see this repeated element over and over and over again which is generally something you should avoid if you have something that is repeated over and over and over again on every single cell every single item like figure out a way to to diminish that uh, because it becomes visual noise and then people don't notice it at all yep all right so that's news that's news uh, that was a little bit of a design critique slash hypothesis kind of yeah that was another (laughs) the floor is lava segment floor is lava hope we didn't offend anybody i'm intrigued i've personally experienced the problem of trying to join or follow a conversation with more than one person and just giving up so if that solves that then that's great for me i think the chat bubble lends itself to shorter form content which might not be a thread that i necessarily want to read between people versus people sort of sharing thoughts at each other but then that has its own set of problems right like people sharing thoughts at each other tend to share thoughts past each other because they're each trying to make this like big point. Um, But if it's a chat bubble, maybe it feels friendlier. It feels like you're texting a friend. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to to our meat of the episode. We've gone through the top bun. Let's get into into this meat and then we'll finish with one cool thing on the the bottom bun. If you get my hamburger metaphor. Oh yeah. More of a sandwich. So Marshall, it's January. And for people that work certainly in Silicon Valley, but probably the tech industry at large, that means it is performance review season. And I remember when I was at Facebook, performance reviews were incredibly stressful to me because I overthought the process. I really tried to understand the value of performance reviews. The fact that a performance review can lead to a promotion tells me that they can then be gamed and people will figure out ways to make them more appealing to others. But also they can be a useful feedback mechanism for teams and managers. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about performance reviews. Hit me. Let's keep it general. So do you have advice for somebody that is taking or participating in their first performance review ever? Oh, I didn't expect that question. Okay. Yeah, I think especially if you're first starting at a new company, one of the things that I would do, well, I, actually, this is just an answer I would give to anybody, regardless of your tenure. Keep track of everything that you do. Keep an open doc 
where you add week by week just a bulleted list of all the things you worked on, potentially add little notes to yourself about the names of people that you worked on them with or whatever, any details that help you remember that thing because eventually you're going to go up for your review or potentially even a promotion and you'll want to have all of that information so that you can put it into your packet and have the strongest argument for your advancement as possible. So yeah, that's that's like the thing that's it's super easy to do. It's hard to maintain because it's easy to get caught up and, and forget to, to do it on Friday or whatever. But yeah, maintaining a, a running list of all of the things you've worked on, all of the contributions you've made to the company, regardless of whether that's IC work or... Uh, business suggestions or anything like keep track of your your contributions so it can be small things too absolutely yeah yeah and and a lot of times i'll I'll lump all those small things together as their own project sure i see on that note are there mistakes that you've made in the past with performance reviews or mistakes you've seen other people make like as you've gotten reports that you would advise people to avoid well one thing that is super useful that uh i've seen it isn't like immediately obvious is with peer reviews. So um, a lot of times when you, part of your review cycle is as asking other people to vouch for you in the things that you have marked as your uh, projects or contributions and making sure that the people that you choose to to back you up and, and vouch for you are at least one level higher than yourself, if not two. The reason being that the person who's one level above you had your job already. They knew what the responsibilities at your level were, and they, they have a better chance of saying whether or not you are meeting those expectations. When you get a person who's two levels above you, not only do they know they had that job that you have right now, but they also had the job that you're going for <laughs> yeah, and the one you're going yeah. for after that. So they, yeah. they can see, based on your performance, how quickly are you accelerating to the next, to the next level or how, how well are you preparing yourself to be able to handle the speed bumps that will come down the road or the, the, the responsibilities that will be necessary as you move forward in your role. What if you don't interface with people two levels above you that often? What if your peer view like you work the most with the people at your same level. Sure. I mean, yeah, you do what you can, but like, well, this is why it's good to know a lot of people in the company, or at least like collaborate with people in the company, even if it's not on your main stuff, like just, just having people who have had your job before vouch for you is huge. I know I said that before, but like, I, I can't stress it enough. Like it, it means a lot more to the people who are evaluating your performance because depending on the size, the size of your company that you work at, like the people evaluating your performance may have never met you before, may have never heard of the projects you worked on, may have no idea what all the three-letter acronyms and everything that you're putting in your packet are. So they don't have any affinity towards you. They don't have any reason to give you that promotion or give you a good review. So when they see that people who do work near you and are higher level than you say, this person knows what they're doing, they're doing a great job, they're actually doing better than a person at their level is required to do, they deserve a promotion, that, that, that means a lot more to those strangers who have no idea who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it's interesting that you would ask for a peer review from somebody that you've never met. No, no, no. The way it works at a lot of large companies is because there are so many people going up for promotion at any given time, there are like review committees. Oh, so in the committee. I yeah, see, yeah, I see, yeah. I see. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. But yeah, that, that person is a stranger. The people who are reviewing you, no, no, no. They should not be strangers. They should have worked very closely with you and, and, and know everything that you've done, or at least a large amount enough to talk to in the packet. Do you believe that other people should be able to read the report that you wrote about them? Yeah, absolutely. That's how you improve. I mean, do you think that makes people hesitant to write 
peer review, knowing that the other person will see it. Only if you're going to say something negative. Well, right. right? Which yeah. is maybe that's the only time of year you could do that. If somebody's going to say something bad about you, probably don't choose them as a peer reviewer. Like <laughs> whether you've yeah, done anything yeah. wrong or maybe they just don't like you. Maybe you don't get along or whatever. Like you still have to work with them. But but like <laughs> don't pick that person because they might say something negative about you and you have no control over what they write about you. So so choose wisely. Right. But yeah, I, I would expect of the peer reviewers that you do choose, none of them should say anything negative. Um, and if they do, and you don't have any to choose anybody to choose from who can't say something negative, then you need to get better at your job, and like you're probably going to be in a performance plan of some sort. Right. What about promotions? How how do you propose? I know this is different at every company, but how do you propose people go about asking for a promotion at this stage? Do you do it every cycle? Do you choose which cycle that you had? Like you had a really good cycle, and this is yeah. the time that you ask for. It? Do you just do you just ask for it every time, and then know that? there's probably going to be several where it won't happen. Okay. So I can only speak from my own experience on this and I've only worked at one major tech company. Sure. Yeah. I've been there for a long time, but I've only been, been at, at the one. So my variety of experience is limited, but you should be having regular one-on-ones with your manager, with your direct manager. And in those meetings, in those one-on-ones, you should be discussing your career. You should be talking with your manager about what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you could be doing better, what you need to be doing to get to the next level. And in these conversations, it should be happening weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how you have it set up. That's that's the opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking that I, I feel like I'm doing my job really well right now. I feel like I'm even actually doing the job at the next letter above, uh, the next ladder level above this one, I'm already doing some of that stuff. What could I do in order to get there? How close do you think I am? Where do I fall short? Where am I succeeding? So you should have an idea even before the performance. Yeah, and that's your manager's responsibility yeah, yeah. To, to look out for your career, right? Like <laughs> that's that's one of the things I take most seriously as a manager. Do you advise for people that go through four, five performance reviews without a promotion? Well, actually, it's not the count. It's more like going too long before getting a promotion. Do you have advice for people that are stuck in that situation where it's like, it's not happening, but I'm not doing a bad job necessarily? Yeah, there are a ton of reasons why you could be passed over for a promotion. Uh, one of the worst ones is you keep getting new managers. I've, that I've is seen the this. worst. That's yeah. terrible because you have no control over it. And also, it's not unreasonable to expect the manager to want to get to know you before they you know vouch for you to get a promotion and but if they're constantly cycling out potentially their manager is bad and nobody wants to work under that person or whatever and then you, you're stuck in the middle and you're screwed actually you're stuck at the bottom and you're screwed yeah so there are a lot of reasons why that's just one but but there are certainly reasons why you could be passed up for promotion and it's nothing that you've done yourself if that's not the case then you need to start looking inward and the only way to get a good answer for that is to be honest with yourself and say typically your your job will have some sort of ladder where it describes for this role at this level you should be meeting these requirements or at least most of these requirements nobody's perfect and does everything but if you're if you're satisfying that enough and you're not getting the promotion, then then something is wrong outside of your control. And then potentially you can ask your manager, as long as they're not the problem, to help you with that. Um, and that's a responsibility to help you with that. But uh, if it is yourself, then either identify it with yourself first and then go to your manager and say, hey, I haven't gotten promotion. I wonder if it's because of this, this, and that. 
which shows that you are introspective to your manager and, and allows them to see like, oh, they, they are trying to get better. They're not just clueless and throwing up their hands. Why not me? Right. Yeah. That seems to conflict with only asking for peer reviews from people who are going to write only good things because you might miss out on like, there's people who have feedback for me that actually might be very valid, even if it's hurtful at the time mm -hmm. that I receive it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a question of what the right venue is for that. Oh, so maybe that's a side conversation. Yeah, I think that's a conversation you want to have on the side. Hopefully that person brings it up to you directly. Second best is they bring it up to your manager or their own manager who talks to your manager and then talks to you about it. But there are plenty of methods of uh, communication that could account for that um, or that could house that conversation that don't involve your career <laughs> prospects. Got it. And then where do you fall? Maybe this also differs company to company, but where do you fall on what types of roles you ask for peer reviews from? So do you do you get only designers? Do you pull in engineers? Is it simply oh. about the people that you worked the most with or is it important to have that? cross-functional wide variety yeah. yeah yeah because not only is it how well you're doing your job how well are you interfacing with the people who are doing their other jobs so having a slew of engineers that can say this person is really good at their job they work really well with us they make my job easier because of how good they are at their job whether that's an engineer or pm or uxr or sorry researcher or sales or marketing or uh, director level depending on who you interact with Having those people say, yes, this person is good and I want to work with them again. It was a joy to, to, to be on a project with them and I never want to work with another designer ever again because this person's so good. So yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge variety. As much as you can, as high as you can. Got it. How do you feel about performance reviews at a higher level? About If they're fair to people, if the human problems are too inherently messy that it's impossible to get things to be really standardized. Well, so yeah, some people might not know what calibration means. So I think what you mean by that is all of the managers at a certain level and above get together and compare their direct reports, their performance of the direct reports, and say, my person did ABC. And the other person goes, well, my person did ABC, but they also did D, E, and F. You gave your person a superb, and I gave my person a very good, whatever the scale happens to be. Right, right. And uh, maybe yours should be very good and mine should be superb, right? That, that way that it's not just on your team, it's not uh, proportionate to the people on your team or in your individual sector of the company. It's all designers across the entire company comparing your work to one another to make sure that it's fair on a, on a macro level as opposed yeah, to a micro level. Yeah, you want level. consistency of expectations at each level, right? Right. And yeah, and, and, and one standard that is applied to everyone and everyone is, is judged accordingly and rated accordingly. My problem with that process is how important the interpersonal relationship you have with your manager is to your career progression, which I guess sounds obvious when you say it out loud, but I think that sucks for somebody who's stuck in a situation where either they get a new manager every six months, mm -hmm. so in those calibration meetings, Ugh. they either don't have enough context or they don't have that rapport to go to bat for you, so to speak. This is why working cross-functionally is good because other yeah. managers can can say, I see, I can see. speak to your performance. I see, so that's how you would counteract that. Or, or you know, you're doing good work, your teammates like you, but you just have a shitty relationship with your manager and you don't necessarily want to switch teams or maybe switching teams isn't even an option at a smaller company. It happens. Like, 
you're just fucked because of that one link in the thread. And I that always rubbed me the wrong way. Again, I would say as many character witnesses as you can produce. <laughs> <laughs> you are going on trial. Yeah. In a I way, yeah. You're making a case for yourself. There, it's truly that's truly what it is. Way, that's yeah. what your packet is. Yeah. is you're, you're making the strongest case that you can for your own performance. Uh, you're not lying. And I hate perf. <laughs> not because it's a bad thing to do but because i have to brag about myself i have to like write things that are true but seem braggadocious i did this 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 and this i deserve this yeah yeah Yeah. i led this drove this yeah yeah, yeah, spearheaded that right thesaurus this (laughs) yeah you sound you you feel like an asshole for using these words that you would never use otherwise you feel like a, a a braggart because you're saying things you're, you're you're tooting your own horn which depending on how how you are if you're like me that doesn't feel good that, that's the thing that feels very uncomfortable and you have to do it twice a year but that's the most important thing you can do because uh, again you will be passed over for a promotion or a, a good review if you don't take it into your own hands yeah i i actually want to add a little emphasis there too because there are personalities where or, or even for me where I value things differently than the organization values it. So I might do things that felt like side tasks or they felt like not even worth mentioning, but the organization values it for one reason or another, Mm -hmm. which goes back to your very first point about write down all the things that you do. And even if it feels like bragging, just put them in that that self-review because you don't know. Ideally, you should know or at least build up that understanding over time of what the the company values. But certainly early on, if if you're not sure, list everything you feel bad when i say brag i don't mean actually brag like don't don't be egregious don't don't exaggerate tell the truth but writing in it's writing in a way that you wouldn't normally otherwise write basically you're writing a pr statement for yourself right right like imagine your pr for a company announcing a new product that's you talking about yourself which is hard for people that aren't comfortable doing that like you or people who haven't written pr statements about themselves in the past or haven't seen anybody do that for them in the past it's a whole new experience yeah i mainly just want to like keep my head down and do my job right like yeah. that's that's what i would be happy to do but every now and then i pick my head up and go yo i'm awesome you should you should recognize how awesome i am okay thanks bye yeah right. yeah super uncomfortable but it's necessary one other thing that i, I forgot to mention earlier that i think uh, you you made me think of earlier which is in addition to compiling a list of all the things you've worked on when you do submit your packet it is great to have this this seems obvious but i'll say it anyways it's great to have a list of news articles uh, or, or tech articles that were written about the products that you did launch about the features that you did launch so you can go hey look TechCrunch said this thing about it or nine to five mac likes this thing or whatever so you can say not only did i do the thing that I was told to do, but it had impact on the business, had impact on the community. People noticed it. People wrote about it. They wrote effusively about it. They really like it. And then in addition to that, have a curated gallery of sorts, however is best arranged at the company that you work at, whatever whatever tool you need to use, have, have some folder or some gallery type viewer where you can show all of your work, all of the mocks that you've made, all the stuff, all the flows that you've done, any research, like link so much. (laughs) Link more than you think they will click on the links because again, you're building a case. This is not a trial, but it should be. So, And the more evidence you have in your favor, the better. And the nice thing about all this, I I say, because I just remembered I have all my 
performance reviews on my computer. So I pulled one up. So now I have like a portfolio entry. If I ever wanted to put Facebook on my portfolio, I have that granularity of things that I did. Um, so I agree with everything. I wanted to call out one thing that I learned that I thought was helpful. So when I did my self reviews, I got advice after my first half from my manager that said, think of it in this hierarchy. So the first section is here's where I think I made the most impact this half, meeting or exceeding the expectation for my level. So here's what I did at my level, meeting the responsibilities that I currently have. Oh, okay. And then underneath that section, it was three bullet points. The most significant thing, the second most significant thing, the third most significant thing, and then maybe like a short list of all the tertiary stuff. Then the second section was, here's what I did this half that I think meets or exceeds the standards of the level above me first most important thing, second most important thing, third most important thing. And then the last section was here are ways that I've struggled or things that I wanted to improve upon this half. First most important thing I'm going to improve, second most important thing I'm going to improve, third most important thing. So basically it was writing nine big bullet points and then you could put all the, the smaller bullet points in between, but nine big bullet points. What I'm doing that meets my responsibilities, what I'm doing that exceeds my responsibilities, that deserves a promo. Third is here's how I'm going to fix my my current deficiencies. Here's Yeah, here's my self-assessment, my ability to recognize my own shortcomings and the things I'm going to do Which to is interesting because I'm looking back at mine and it was all empty. I feel like I just was perfect. <laughs> Here are th- ways I struggled. N-A. Hmm. Mm. Weird. Mm. <laughs> Strange. Just kidding. I, perfect. I, I have uh, lo- meaty paragraphs there. Yeah, here's a couple little gamey things to do. Well, typically if I'm describing a project, I will list the chronological order of my contributions. So I'll say, uh, you know, worked with PM to define the problem, right? All the way down through, worked closely with engineering to make sure that the final shipping product matched my mocks as closely as possible, both in behavior and visual. I think that's a good thing. So you can see, they can see that you were present and accounted for at every single step of the process, hopefully driving those processes. Another thing is during, on those bullet points, don't use bullets. Use pluses. Oh. So it's just a little visual. I don't know how much this moves Very the needle. Very subconscious. But yeah, just put a little <laughs> plus next to each thing. It's a little positive thing that you did. Instead of using bullets, use pluses. All right. Uh, this seems uh, hopefully useful. Oh, one thing that you asked that I didn't answer that I think we should address is how often you should go up for promotion. Hmm. Right. So I said, uh, talk to your manager and, and go up when you think that both of you are of the opinion that you're ready. One thing I would say is don't push it. Right. Don't go up too early and ask for something that you know you're not going to get. Only ask for it when you think you'll get it. You don't want to cry wolf. If you're constantly showing up as like, this person wants a promotion and they obviously aren't ready for it. And not only does it, is it you crying wolf, but it also comes across as you being oblivious to your yeah, own shortcomings. I see, I see. Um, so only go when you think you're ready for it. Maybe even wait another cycle after you think you're ready for it. Another thing to do is to try and time it with launches. So after you've just launched, like the first cycle after you've launched a few major things that you can point to and say, look, impact, look, cooperation, right? Only then, should when your packet is strong enough, do, should you go. If, you, if you're going with a weak pro- packet and say, oh, yeah, I have like these five projects that are all in progress, but none of them have shipped, it's a poor argument. So right? just wait. Yeah, just just wait a, a quarter, wait, a, wait a, a cycle, whatever that cycle length right, is. Right. It's like if you do the math of how much it costs companies to do a performance review, it is staggering. Well, plus like if you think about the, the, the side load of all the work you have to do oh, to crazy. put these things together, assuming you treat it as seriously as we seem to do, you 
basically start as soon as you finish the previous one. Yeah. yeah and yeah. You, you never stop doing performance review, which is something that is true that should be in your head. You should always be measuring your performance against the ladder. That way you can address the concerns that your manager has or the things that you want to improve in yourself. But like, yeah, it shouldn't be a constant physical battle against meeting a deadline to fill out performance review. Anyways. Cool. Hopefully that helped some people. Hopefully that was uh, somebody. Some people learned some things they didn't know, or hopefully will influence some perf- uh, some uh, promotions out there. That would be great. But if we missed anything, let us know too. Yeah, so please. Tweeted us Design Details FM. Yeah, Marshall and I obviously have limited scope and context here from Google, Facebook, the big ones. Uh, but maybe it's a little bit different for you at your company, or you found. Oh, you do it in a way that feels more enjoyable or feels really rewarding. It'd be cool to hear about those just so I build up a, a better understanding of how this is approached across the industry. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure considerations at a small company, at a startup, or totally a, small, yeah. a new company are completely different. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about strangers because there are no strangers. You know, There are a lot of considerations to take into account. But yeah, hopefully this helped, it, especially if you work at a large company, you can take some of these learnings and apply them. Let us know if you get a promotion based on our Yeah, <laughs> our I feel like we're, hit, we're, we're aiming for a subset of people who listen because I I would have liked to have this conversation my first six months at Facebook because I had no clue what the fuck was coming up. And then I did that first performance review and was so obviously underprepared to write it, to remember the things that I'd done, to self-evaluate. And, uh, you know, I waited another half to get another shot at it. So it sucked. Uh, for people who use things, I have this at, at GitHub. I have things I did. <laughs> so just add a bunch of things there and you don't necessarily have to check them off. You just leave them as that list and then maybe at the end of each half you check them off one of the things that i go back and look through is my logbook and things yeah and like see yeah, all yeah. of the stuff that i marked off because i'm I, I love checking off things that i've done and a lot of times i'll finish a thing that i didn't have a to-do for and i'll write a to-do yeah, specifically yeah. for that thing just so, so i can it's check in the it logbook. off yeah yeah but now it's in the logbook and now i can remember yeah. not only that i did it but when i did it right so in my things every project that i do has a tag on it if it's me if i'm working on it or if it's one of my direct reports oh. if they're working on it so i keep track of what they do as well because oh. i need to stay smart. on top yeah, of that yeah, stuff smart. i'll even i even have tags for pms and engineers so that like if something doesn't get worked on for a while and it comes back like, hey, you need to work on I know who to talk to. Right? Oh. I know like, oh, yeah, this is the end lead on this and this is the PM lead on it. So organized, this mm-hmm. one. You should see his house. Oh, my God. <laughs> you should see my house. You should. It's organized. Come over. Say hi. <laughs> Swing on by. We're watching a movie. <laughs> just ring the doorbell. We're just watching Indiana Jones or something. I just watched it. Yeah. Oh, I was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like that was too, too close to home. Actually, I have a thing to recommend and maybe I'll make that my one cool thing. Cool. Well, let's get into it. I'll start this week. So I saw a YouTube video last week that was very, very intriguing. Uh-huh. I can't wait to hear. We're going to have a link in the show notes to this. So you should just watch it. But is essentially a conspiracy theory that Snowpiercer and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or sorry, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right, the old one. The old one, original, are set in the same universe and Snowpiercer is just the future of that timeline. It's a sequel. I don't know. I, I think it's just fun to leave the mystery and let people watch this because I thought it was, it's a fun movie if you've seen, or a fun YouTube video if you've seen both movies. If you haven't seen Snowpiercer, it's worth a watch and then, and then watch this video afterwards. Yeah. So my cool thing. Yeah. Okay. So my cool thing is I was going to share something totally different, but you made me think of it. So you mentioned last week that you're going to watch Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark after you went skiing and had your perfect day of the year. Which we did watch it after we recorded. Okay. There is a transcript of an early, early meeting, probably the first meeting, I want to say, of George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and I want to say Lawrence Kasdan or another screenwriter. He, he, Lawrence Kasdan wrote Star Wars. I think he was a co-writer on 
I don't know, whatever, that third person. But the three of them basically breaking the story for Indiana Jones, just like spitballing. At one point, Steven Spielberg kind of out of nowhere goes, oh, I got this really good idea. Uh, we should have a sequence where there's this giant ball rolling, this giant boulder rolling down and Indiana Jones has to run away from it and it's rolling through the cavern and he like rolls out the the front of the, the, the mouth of the cave right as it ends. And it's like this perfect idea that is complete from its inception. It's like a full, a full idea that makes it all the way into the movie basically unchanged, just out of Sp- Steven Spielberg's head, which is why he is Steven Spielberg as yeah, he can come up yeah, with this stuff. Cool. And, and it really gives you a great insight into the writing process and coming up with stories. And there's a lot of ideas that don't make it into the movie. They're just kind of bad. Who was transcribing it? I think the transcription is from a tape. So they were taping themselves brainstorming it? Basically, yeah. Damn, that's so cool. Yeah, super cool. Plus, it's like I, these guys weren't super big at no, the time. No, this was, what, 70s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the they 80s. had both done stuff like right, Star Wars right, had come right, out right. and they had a couple movies under the belt, but they they weren't George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in, in giant capital letters. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to find so link in the show notes. Yeah. Link in the we'll show notes. That. Cool things. Cool things. Indeed. We got, they're fun and cool things. I like that. All right. Thank you to listening for sticking with us. Uh-huh. Thank you, Sarah and Drew for editing this. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a little bit long this week. So thank you both for, for editing, producing, making us sound smarter than we are, cutting Indeed. out our mistakes. Huge thank you to ReadyMag, our sponsor who made this episode possible. ReadyMag helps you design anything on the web. You can learn more at readymag.com. You can start building beautiful publications using their custom templates and fonts today at readymag.com. And if you upgrade to their advanced plan, which gives you custom domain, analytics, and a whole bunch more, if you are one of the first 50 people to upgrade using the promo code Design Details, you're going to get 40% off that price. So again, readymag.com, start designing beautiful websites without writing a line of code. And when you're ready to upgrade, use that promo code Design Details to save 40%. So thank you again, ReadyMag. Uh, we have links to people who are building stuff with ReadyMag in our show notes. So check those out. Beautiful work and a beautiful product. So great job, ReadyMag. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us if we miss things, if you want us to talk about other things in upcoming episodes. We appreciate the tweets. Yeah, I want to do another uh, listener questions episode yeah. uh, soon. So send those listener questions in. Be happy to answer them in long-winded form as we did this. As is tradition. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, until next week, it's been fun. It has been fun. Let's watch a movie. Let's do it. TTFN. TTFN.